It's as if our culture is saying, hey, your goal in life should be able to get through as easy as possible, right? That's kind of the, that's the mission statement of our culture. That's what's selling is, hey, is your life hard? Let me make it easier. Let me make it just a little bit smoother for you. This is the tr- uh, true in James's uh, context as well. So this letter, as you see in verse 1, is written to the 12 tribes. They're scattered. These are Jewish Christians who are scattered in the dispersion. Uh, they're scattered throughout the world by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. We don't have time now, but a, a little homework for you. If you like, go back in Jeremiah 31 has a, a lengthy portion where they talk about um, how they long to be gathered as God's people again. And so even for the readers of James, they're probably they're getting this letter, and, and their aim was to see their situation improved, right? They, they get this letter, and they're thinking, oh, good, like, like, let's see the plan. And then they open it, and they read, count it all joy. I, I wonder if they thought, like, did you bring us the right letter? <laughs> Do you know what we're going through? We need a circumstance change. We need, we need help. We're supposed to, you're telling us we're supposed to stop where we are right now and consider where we are joy? Are you crazy? And so back then they would ask, and then still today, our culture would still say, are you crazy? The struggles, the suffering I've been going through to consider all joy? You see, there's one massive roadblock for James's audience, and it's for us as well about how we are considered all joy. Ready? It's can you come to grips with the fact that the aim of this life is not to seek out the most pleasurable and favorable circumstances, but to crave godly character, character through all the trials we go through. I know that was long. I want to read it again. As you think about, okay, Tim, how am I going to go towards joy? Here's, your, here's the question for you. Can you come to grips with the fact that the aim of this life is not to seek out the most pleasurable circumstances, but to crave the godly character of the trials that we go through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up with vulnerability right for me. This is not my normal bent, okay? So often, my, my pattern here, as I was thinking about this, at, at night, you know, kind of uh, go up to bed, tired, talk to Steph, what's, what's going on tomorrow, did you make coffee tomorrow? We really need it. Um, and then, you know, quick kiss, good night, roll over, and then I kind of start thinking about the next day, right? And so often, where my thoughts are going are I'm thinking, what do I have tomorrow? And if I'm honest, I'm actually asking the question, what do I have tomorrow that is going to interfere with my comforts? Do I have hard conversations I need to have? Do I have, do I have maybe a project that I've been avoiding and I just don't know how to tackle it Um, Do I have to enter into something that is going to be hard? Do I have an element of suffering? And I'll be the first to admit that my first reaction is not to say, oh, thank you, God, that tomorrow I have something that's going to test me. Thank you, God, that tomorrow you're going to produce more character, more godly character in me than I had today because of a trial. I don't go through that. And and I I want to speak for you, but I'm assuming you kind of don't look at it that way either. And as we think about why, it's because we have so many, so much programming from the culture of, I need to get through it the easiest way, not what is going to produce the most godly character in me as I go through this. So first, as you think about this struggle, I want to kind of say something that we're probably all thinking, but maybe we're not willing to admit. The idea of suffering and God's sovereignty is one of the hardest things you can think about as a Christian. 
The idea of how do we balance the fact that God is sovereign and in control and can do anything and, and all things within his character and the fact that we see hard things and we see suffering, that's, that's hard to go through. I don't want to take away or diminish that. But at the same time, I do kind of want to say, here's where we should go with it. If that's, if that's continued to be a struggle, some of the solution can be found in what are we seeking? What are you seeking as we go through this life. I think how we do the first command is that we stop seeking after earthly comforts and joys and start seeking heavenly ones. See, the word joy here isn't so much in the way that we know it. It actually has more of a, a spiritual, eternal joy. Most of the other translations of this word in the Greek um, aren't just speaking of a feeling, but an abundance of, of heavenly joy that comes about seeking heavenly things, not earthly things. Here's some examples. You'll probably know these verses well. Matthew 2.10. When they saw the star, we're going, to go back to, we're going to go forward to Christmas. Hope you're okay with that. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know this passage? Well, it's, it's the wise men traveling to see Jesus after their birth, and they rejoiced that the star was showing them the direction of their Savior. They had joy. Later on, Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, the word joy is paired with so much more than an earthly sense, but it's associated with this, this spiritual fulfillment that we're all longing for. So as we go on to point two, I want to ask, could it be that the reason this passage is so confusing and against our flow, and I'd almost say like maybe offensive to some of us, it's because we have been trained to seek after and satisfied with the joy that the world produces and not the joy that James is talking about here. Could it be that we're called to practice this verse right in the circumstances that we're in, not the circumstances that we want to be in? Okay, I'm not going to talk about it a lot because I really don't understand what I've been reading about this whole meta world thing or whatever, but I know enough to know I don't like it. So, there's these advertisements that talk about this meta world that's coming, and it's this blend of like virtual reality with actual reality, where you put like virtual glasses on, and it's going to interact with like your actual reality. And as I thought about that, I thought, isn't that so typical? That the culture is saying, hey, the way to actually get through this life is just to alter your reality. And actually, the advertisement that they have on, on these ads to kind of promote it is to say, you do, if you don't like who you are, you can change that. And so in this, this metaverse, you can change your character and all these different things. It's altering your reality, and that is so different than what James is talking about, because James is saying, no, stay there. Whatever is going on, stay there. Stay there in the suffering, because your suffering is not pointless. Because your suffering is actually leading to something. And so James tells us why we should do it. Why? Verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James is saying something starts to happen when our faith is tested. This word tested actually is back then from how silver and gold was refined. The silver would rise to the surface of liquid they would put it in, and it then, they then removed all the impurities in the silver with a, a scraper. 
And Jesus is saying that's, that's what trial, James is saying that's what trials do to our faith. They're perfecting and chiseling all the imperfections to allow you to come out stronger. And this is really cool because Scripture gives commands, and it doesn't always tell us why uh, the reason for the command, right? James could just say, hey, suck it up, count it all joy, like quit whining, right? But he doesn't. He actually explains, count it all joy, and here's why. I'm going to explain why you can count it all joy because of the testing of your faith. He tells us why. As I thought about this idea and testing uh, and what it produces, I had an example of this. So many of you probably know I'm more of a cardio guy than a gym guy. And if you don't know that, then clearly you've never seen me with my shirt off at like a pool party. But just take my word for it. I, I weigh more cardio. I can't stand lifting, okay? And about like two or three times a year, my wife always rolls her eyes because I'll like join some kind of weird subscription or I can't remember the names of the stuff I've joined. But I just look at this and I'm like, all right, it's time to get this under control, right? And when I do that, the same thing always happens. I'll, I'll do it for like a few days or a week. And then I'm your stereotypical person where like the next day, like I can't even lift my toothbrush to my mouth right? And here's the thing. If that was pointless, no one would do it, right? But actually, if you understand what's, what's going on with, with muscle breakdown is that as you lift weights and do those things, that there's muscle fibers that start to be torn and, and break down. But if that is all it was, then no one would work out. But actually, what we know happens is that as you break down those muscle fibers, what do they do? They come back stronger. They come back thicker, they come back able to handle more weight. I don't really know that because I've never gone beyond week one, but I'm told that's what happens, right? <laughs> and that's actually what James is saying. James is saying, hey, look forward to this testing of your faith because as, as your expectations are broken down, as your comforts are broken down, they start to come back. And they start to produce steadfastness. And you can start to look at it as joy. That is what James is talking about Something that, that brought out this, this idea um, of James talking about testing that faith. You know, so often in, in James and elsewhere in Scripture, kind of what it's doing is it's asking you to examine to see if faith is actually there, right? Later on in James, James talks about how, hey, look to your faith, and if you don't see good works, then that's not saving faith, Okay, and there's a lot of passages that, that, that cause us to examine ourselves to see, to see if, if there's true faith. I, I'm, that's actually not what's happening here. You see, and you think about it, testing, you can't test gold. You can't do those things if it's not actually there. You can't actually lift a weight, even though it sometimes feels like it when I'm trying to lift that little 10-pound dumbbell, right? As discouraged as it, maybe like 20 pounds, I'm not that bad. But when I lift, I think, okay, I actually, even though I feel weak, there's something there or wouldn't be able to do it. And James is actually saying the faith that is being tested, it's actually there. And as we think about it, so often in the midst of trials and suffering, I think sometimes we think that it's testing something that's not even there. But for those who are in Christ, for those who have faith, understand that it's testing something that's there. James is saying, your faith is being tested, and actually it's going to come to fruition because it's not actually up to you. That the Lord is still at work, just like last week. Remember we, we looked at Paul's conversion? The Lord is just as much at work the moment you were saved, and now he's at work in the trials that you're going through. 
In other words, you don't have to just look at what God is, is doing or, or what the, uh, the suffering and saying, man, it's up to me. I better make sure that I got enough strength to lift this weight. It's the same promises of God that are going to sustain you at this point. What we have to get to be able to confess, as a youth pastor, a lot of times I say this, like, if you only take one thing away, take this. It feels weird saying preaching, but I'm going to say it anyway. You got to take this away, ready? In order to get this point, you have to desire the outcome that the trial will produce more than the earthly comfort it's robbing you of. You have to desire the outcome of the trial, uh, that the trial will produce more than whatever earthly comfort the trial is robbing you of. It, it can kind of be confusing, too, that James, we, we look at this, you might be asking, does this mean that James is saying we can actually obtain perfection? This is when it's helpful to, to do something to kind of interpret Scripture with Scripture, where if something's unclear and it seems like it's against other Scripture, then you look at uh, different parts of Scripture to understand it, as you know, that we're not going to obtain perfection in this life. So what's happening that James is talking about here? He's saying the goal of trials and suffering leads to a certain kind of completeness, while at the same, same time understanding you won't reach this fulfillment until Christ comes back. But don't let that encourage you, discourage you in this life. Use that to encourage you that one day you'll no longer go through this suffering. Your faith will no longer have to be tested. But you're probably looking and saying, okay, well, right now, the Lord hasn't come back, right? Right now, we're still here. We're still struggling. We're still having to kind of get through this life with struggles. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I find myself in kind of an anxious season, sometimes I, every time the phone rings, right? Steph, oh man, there's, there's that split second, something happened, right? As we think about it, it's important to realize like one day there's going to be a time where you'll never actually have to wonder that. But at the same time, even if the worst should happen, even if the worst should happen, James says there's still purpose. There's still a God who is working. There's still that through the trials, there's still somewhere that he wants to take you. He wants to work out your faith. He wants to see that you are stronger through it. He does this in the last part, as we see point three, how to do it. So this is the how to do it, how to get through trials and suffering and with steadfastness, uh, what James is talking about. Look at verse five. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We've already talked about how we have to be kingdom and heavenly minded to really understand this. Also means if we try and use the world's wisdom to make sense of our suffering, it's not going to work. It means we need to ask God for his wisdom alone. Look at what he says. He says, let him ask God. First, this means you are allowed to go to God and directly ask for this. This past summer at a middle school and high school RYM, I got to teach an elective on the Psalms. And one of the, the things that I found the most and that I kind of tried to bring out with, with these students had a lot to do with this topic. We talked a lot about, about suffering and about a lot of the hard things that we go through in this life. And, and actually, if you turn to the Psalms, the Psalms give us language that allow us to be honest with God. 
In other words, I said, you don't have to pretend like you're not hurting or pretend like you're okay with all these things happening. But because the language is used in the Psalms, where we see the psalmists have this honest language, you can too. And right here in verse 5, James says, not only, not only kind of suggests, but says, you're commanded to do this. You're commanded to go to God if you are lacking wisdom and ask for wisdom. He tells us we can do this. As we think about why don't we do that or why don't we go to God, um, I think about uh, this part I read in a book. You've heard us recommend it. I've quoted it. I know, Gentle and Lowly. There's this book, um, there's this part in the book where he's really kind of asking, why is it that we don't go to God with the hard things? Why is it that we don't, we don't come to God with, with our sin sometimes or with things that we're struggling with? And it kind of just basically sums up, explains, we don't understand the posture of Jesus Christ who we come to. We don't understand, okay, sometimes if I, if I come to Christ, what's he going to do? What's his response going to be? Are his arms really going to be wide open and say, you're forgiven? And so as you think about why don't we come to God, maybe you think your suffering was because of your sin and your choices. If this is you, I want you to know that God is still generous with forgiveness and wisdom and wants you to come to him. Maybe you think your suffering and trials are beyond what God is capable of handling. God just seems far away and never at work. Or maybe you're still trying to hold on to those earthly comforts and loss, going through the trial or suffering and aren't yet willing to look at this and say, I'm willing to say that I want more the character that is going to produce more than I want that earthly comfort that this takes away. There's wisdom God is ready and willing to give for all those examples. Before I kind of go to a conclusion, my, my students have heard me say this like so many times so they're going to roll their eyes, but, uh, and probably you guys have too, but one of my favorite themes one time about five years ago of RYM was, so the conferences have like whole title themes, right, where all the seminars, the speakers are based on that theme, and there's still... One of the themes I go back to, it is so simple, and as soon as I heard it, I thought, that is brilliant, and actually has to do with suffering. It was, God is at work even when it feels like he is not. I thought, that is so good, because if I'm honest, it, it usually feels like he is not. When I see my sin, when I see how I, how I work through things, and, and I, I see my failures over and over again, sometimes I just want to look at God and say, have you, have you given up? Are you still here? Are you still working? When we see how dark the world gets, when we see our suffering, sometimes we can say, God, are you still there? And that, that theme says, hey, God is still at work, even when it feels like he is not. And perhaps there's no greater example of this than when you think about one who suffered, who could have said it was pointless. He committed no offense. He lived a full life without sin. And he endured may, way more than just amputation of a limb. He endured one of the, most, the, the worst possible ways that someone could die. Roman crucifixion was, was this, you hung on a cross and you typically lived about six hours. And what actually ended up happening was you died by suffocation. Because as you were hung on a cross, you can no longer take in a breath. And not only a physical death, but, but on the cross, what Christ endured was he endured the full wrath of God so that you and I in our suffering will never have to know that kind of suffering. 
We will never have to know the abandonment of God our Father because Christ came and said, I'm going to suffer once and for all. And I don't know, needs, I, I kind of hate when pastors say this, like, I don't know who needs to hear this. I'm going to speak for all of you and say that you all need to hear this. Ready? Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Ready for it? who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before Christ is what kept him on the cross, enduring the worst suffering anyone can ever imagine, and it kept him on the cross. And what was the joy? It was you and me. It was reconciling us back to God. It was making a way for God and man to dwell together again. We've been singing about it this morning. It's what we preach. It's what we pray together. It's what we talk about, that our greatest need is the gospel, that we don't just need a circumstance change, that, that yes, God cares and wants us to pray for the struggles that we have, but our greatest need is reconciliation to God our Father. And Christ on the cross said, I'm going to go there for you so that you will never have to be cut off from God. I'm going to be cut off from God the Father so that you can experience the joy of, of seeing your Father face to face. That's also what Christ was talking about, was that the joy that was set before him was thinking about being at the right hand of God his Father. And now we just sang it before, his joy becomes our joy. Friends, we have to suffer differently. We have to respond differently to whatever this life brings, knowing that there's one who has gone before us and ultimately suffered, so that in every trial, you don't have to fear the phone call, you don't have to fear the news, you can say, whatever happens, I will never be robbed of my joy. In contrast with Britney Spears' situation, John Piper, author, pastor, theologian, in 1974, was in his first year of his doctorate in Minnesota, at Bethel, when he received the news that his mother tragically died unexpectedly in a, a bus accident in Israel. And when asked about suffering and joy, he responded, I just think how different this is to what I introed with. You can't stop pain and tears from coming, but you can keep joy from going. In that aim, let's go to God. God, we praise you that you have made a way for us to suffer with joy. God, we know that it doesn't mean that we're just supposed to put on a happy face and pretend like it doesn't hurt. But God, what you did on the cross, Jesus, what you did on the cross, you have made a way for our suffering to always have purpose. God, that you went to a cross with the purpose of reconciling us to you so that we can now walk in newness of life, so that God, as we are tested we know that you will bring us to completion, that it is you who work. God, our world desperately needs to hear this message, that on the cross we are reconciled to our creator and that we can be given joy. God, we pray this in the precious name of Christ who went before us, who made a way to you. Amen.